Good morning. And welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of the South Fork. My name is Nancy Arnold, and I am the interim minister here. It is good to be together on this gorgeous autumn day. We're very pleased to have Sarah Gordon here today as our musician. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing your gifts of music with us. We're looking forward to it. And thank you to Sue Penny for handling all the setup for today's service and for Stuart Lowry for leading the service with me today. This is only the second time we've done this, right? Correct. Okay. Need a few more gay holidays through the year, I think, to make that work. Um, I think I just turned the microphone on, so if anyone didn't hear that welcome, you can read about it, perhaps. Um, and the shared ministry services are led by me two or three times a month, and the rest are led by worship associates or guest speakers. If you do have a suggestion for a service or some idea that might enhance our worship experience, please speak with me or with one of the worship associates who are here. If you'd like to raise your hands. No matter what your cultural or racial background, your sexual orientation, or your spiritual path, you are welcome here. Whether you're here for the first time, you're just visiting, you're a longtime member, you are welcome here. Do we have any visitors this morning? I don't know that we do. You're visiting, but you, you visit. I mean, that's, that's what you do. <laughs> welcome. An interim visitor, an interim visitor, I like it. Well, I hope you'll all stay for refreshments and conversation after the service. And now Stuart has an announcement for us. In pulpits, UU pulpits across the Long Island area today, a number of us are standing up and trying to get your attention focused for a moment on something called the Long Island Unitarian Universalist Fund. Now, how many of you have heard of uh, the Ford Foundation? <laughs> yeah, they give away lots of money. The Bill and Melissa Gates Foundation, or Melinda Gates Foundation, or Shelter Rock, the, uh, the Veatch Foundation. You've all heard of those. Well, there's a small one that comes out of the Veatch funds called the Long Island Unitarian Universalist Fund. There are a series, set of seven advisors that sit on a committee and work with professional staff who are part of the Long Island Community Foundation to decide how to give small grants to progressive startup or mature organizations to pursue um, issues that would advance the principles of the uh, Long Island, uh, of the uh, Unitarian Universalists. So I am one of those board members and I have been on and off since 1999. <clears throat> I was uh, the board chair for the LIUUF from 2002 to 2005. I retired in order to raise my children. I rejoined the advisory committee at the behest of the head of LICF, Long Island Community Foundation, in September of 2010, and I have yet to tender my resignation. It's a busy group of people. I tend to see things um, as a government relations specialist, conservation lobbyist, which is what I do professionally. Uh, I look at everything through the lens of government funding and policy. And in my worldview, the purpose of government is to rein in the excesses of predatory capitalism and to make sure that the benefits of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are more equally available to all. What I try to d 
do with UU uh, Fund is build the beloved community and promote the civil society. As you all know, we all live in a time of great challenge and extraordinary political myopia, raging war <coughs> across the country, across the country and across the world, uh, fighting diffuse anti-terrorism and the near collapse of our national economy have changed us and limited our inclination and ability to care for our own citizens. The continual creep of wealth into the hands of just a few and out of the hands of many has left a, a pull of fear dominating the national discourse. The elevation of corporations to the status of people in our political process unleashes unimaginable sums of money and influence to hijack our already damaged political process for wealthy corporate interests. In the recent past, we saw national politicians charged with implementing government roles and functions displaying callous disregard for the poor, the afflicted, the devastated. The loathsome models presented to us in Mississippi and Louisiana during and following Hurricane Katrina, and even here on Long Island after Hurricane Sandy, should underscore that many politicians don't believe government should have a role in protecting, nurturing, and comforting our citizens in times of loss and despair. <clears throat> All the measurable tools of government that they would control would be for the purpose of rolling back any and all progressive achievements of the past, from Roosevelt's New Deal to the Clean Air and Clean Water Acts. Such a government leaves huge holes in the safety net that most UUs see as a prime function of government. But worse, government in these times deliberately undermines the basic ability of its citizens to take matters into their own hands to make their lives better through direct action. The Long Island UU Fund is one of a handful of singular and essential agents for progressive social change on Long Island. In partnership with the thoughtful and watching um, Long Island Community Foundation, this small effort has sparked, supported, and seen to maturity many of the premier exponents of liberal social justice in action from Western Nassau to Montauk and Orient Points. While no private enterprise can truly undo the damage wrought in the last few years, LIUUF stands as a witness to the living principles of the Unitarian Universalist Association and our UU principles find application in the funding choices made by the staff of the LIUUF with guidance from its advisory board. <clears throat> We've done a lot of things um, in the years that I've been with the LIUUF, and I'm proudest of our support for anti-racism efforts in Farmingville, federal recognition for the Shinnecock Indians, environmental preservation on Long Island's East End through support of the landmark community ballot measures and educational initiatives, which have put literally $750 million into land preservation in the five East End towns. Equal rights for gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, and queer people, especially those least able to protect themselves, are LGBT youth and a women's right to choose. All these efforts clearly share linkages intentional and otherwise back to the UU principles that call us to do wonderful things such as affirming and promoting respect for the interconnected web of all existence, respect for the inherent dignity and worth of every individual and you all can look on the back of your order of worship and see the rest. This is a big calling and from time to time we run around and we try to encourage you to consider putting your name in the hopper to be a advisory board member or to be an advisory board member in waiting when one of us retires. 
So that's one point that I'd like to make today. Please see me if you're interested in knowing more about LIUUF and possibly serving as an advisory board member. It is a wonderful, singularly gratifying activity. And the other thing is, we do make grants, sometimes as much as $30,000 at a pop. Um, we try to look for progressive organizations and entities working at the edges of what would normally be funded by more conventional organizations like the Ford Foundation or the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We go to the things that might fail and we deliberately seek them out in the hopes that we can give them money so that they could in fact succeed and make a meaningful change. So I ask you also, as you think about LIUUF, are there entities out there that you're aware of that with a small grant, 15, 20, 30,000 dollars, could begin to build progressive social change for somebody or something. And that's my message. I have also some papers about the LIUUF, which you're welcome to collect on your way out. Jeannie. A very good question. The, uh, the funding from, for LIUUF comes in a block grant each year from the Veatch Foundation. It's usually around $300,000 at a shot, which lasts us through three grant cycles. So we're giving anywhere from 90 to 110,000 out uh, three times a year. If you want to make a substantial gift to the LIUUF, I'm sure it would not be turned away. Thank you. Nancy's notes and she'll really be sad. <laughs> Was that too long? <laughs> I'll shorten all of my other Shh. remarks. No, you're going to speak slower though for the rest of it. <laughs> you didn't hear me going, Psst, slow down. This may inhibit any of you from doing a service with me in the future, but. <laughs> I call your attention to the announcements that are printed in your order of service and ask if there are any other congregation-related announcements this morning. Pam. Yes, trying to condense 10 minutes of speech into five minutes of time. This week, on October 11th, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, and queer people around the country will celebrate National Coming Out Day, which you probably never heard of unless you happen to be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, or queer. This observation dates back to the first LGBT march on Washington, which occurred in 1987. That feels like a long time ago to some of us, not so long for others. 
As you will hear throughout this service, coming out is a powerful and essential part of the gay experience. It does not always work out for the best, either in the long or short term, as Wilson Cruz, a gay man and an actor who starred in a uh, TV show called My So-Called Life, has noted. He says, when I came out, it was awful. My father threw me out. I lived in my car for three months, Cruz recalls. For a year, my father and I barely talked. Then one night, the TV show that I starred in, My So-Called Life, aired an episode in which my character was thrown out of the house for being gay. Cruz's father was watching. He called me up after that and it was very moving. He saw what I went through on an emotional and physical level and started to see what he'd done wrong. Now, I wouldn't say it's a complete transformation, but he's definitely more accepting of me. And now let us prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Please silence all electronic devices until the service has ended. Some are made to serve the Lord, and some are made to wonder. Some to fear the lightning bolt, and others laugh the thunder. But I was made to play the fiddle, to hear it sing. Play the fiddle and hear it sing. To hear the angels dream of softer wings. Hear devils stop and scream. Where does the music come from? Where does it go? I may know, by and by, I draw the bow, I feel my heart fly. Some are made to till the fields and feel the seasons turning, while some in books and letters find a lifetime path of learning. But I was made to play the fiddle, to hear it sing, play the fiddle and hear it sing. To hear the angels dream of softer wings. Hear devils stop and scream. Where does the music come from? Where does it go? I may know. By and by, I may know. I draw the bow. I draw the bow and I feel my heart fly. Some may carve through wood or stone to find a thing of beauty. Well, some may chase a cause around the world for love or duty, but I was made to play the fiddle to hear it sing, play the fiddle and hear it sing, to hear the angels dream of softer ways, hear devils stomp and scream. Where does the music come from? Where does it go? I may know, by and by, I may know, I draw the bow, I draw the bow and I feel my heart fly. All those who watch the moon and stars and build their lives by hand, and those in cities proud and tall, I count them all my friends. But I was made to play the fiddle, to hear it sing, play the fiddle and hear it sing, to hear the angels dream of softer wings, hear devils stop and scream, where does the music it come from? Where does it go? I may know, by and by. I may know, I draw the bow. 
We meet on holy ground, for that place is holy where lives touch, love moves, hope stirs. We meet on holy ground, brought into being as life encounters life, as personal stories merge with the communal story, as we take on the pride and pain of our companions, as separate selves become community. May our souls capture this treasured time May our spirits celebrate our meeting in this time and in this space, for we meet on holy ground. I invite you to read the words from your order of service as Finn lights our chalice this morning. We gather this hour as people of faith, with joys and sorrows, gifts and needs. We light this beacon of hope sign of our quest for truth and meaning in celebration of the life we share together. The words to our first hymn were written by the Reverend Mark Mosher DeWolf, a fifth generation Universalist and one of the first openly gay ministers to serve Canadian congregations. Mark was a gifted minister with a passion for our Unitarian Universalist faith. His life was cut short when he died of AIDS at age 35 in July 1988, the same year that National Coming Out Day began. We're going to sing number 295, Sing Out Praises for the Journey. Sarah, could you play it through? Because I don't know that we're familiar with it. Thank you. So this is new to our conversation, and it has a lot of intervals, so it looks scary. So just listen and sing along and go for it. <laughs>
Our worship theme for the month of October focuses on the second source of the living tradition that we share. The words and deeds of prophetic women and men which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. As our banner indicates, this means that we accept the challenge to confront evil with justice, compassion, and love. I want to thank Tuna for once again providing the banner to illustrate our theme for the month. Even though there's more acceptance of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, LGBTQ from now on, people today, it can still be scary to come out. Responses to coming out can range from shunning to the loss of a job, being thrown out of your home, rejection by your family, and hounding from your community. In many cases, coming out can and does literally ruin your life. You may think that coming out is a gay issue, and it is, but coming out affects not only LGBTQ people, but everyone we know. How many of you here have a friend or family member who is LGBTQ, one of those? You do? <laughs> what that means is that you have to decide if and when to come out as a friend or an ally of LGBTQ people. So it's a decision for you as well of whether or not to come out, where to do it, when to do it. Should you tell your friends, your coworkers that you have a family member who's gay? It can be risky. We have an opportunity, though, as Unitarian Universalists, to challenge those who believe gay people should not have the same rights as non-gay people. So when we speak up and out, remember that we become one of the women, men, girls, or boys who affirm the transforming power of love to overcome prejudice and evil. Even when you've been out for more than 40 years like Stuart, I'm not giving away your age, but you still have not to since I was five. think about <laughs> when and if it's okay to reveal your true self to the people that you meet. Stuart will talk about that. Well, as you might imagine, <clears throat> coming out is a never-ending process for all of us on one level or another, and for gay people in particular. So. Um, a, a recent example for me, which sort of has an interesting side theme, uh, which I may or may not elaborate on, and that is, um, in my work life, uh, I shunted around from meetings and trainings all over uh, New York State, and people are brought in, and, uh, and I have work colleagues that I often work with very, very closely for long periods of time, especially on government issues. And I may be emailing and texting back and forth with them, and talking with them on the phone, and interacting with with them in meetings uh, three or four times a week. So in one such example, uh, having had an extended set of conversations, exactly as I described with one of my coworkers, we are then, uh, only a few weeks ago, dropped into a training situation where we're learning about a uh, particular style of management training. And 
we were all having a nice time listening to our facilitator and learning special things about how to be better managers and how to be more transparent and affirmative in our communication style. We finally finished the day's work and we go out for dinner. And there, sitting across the table, is my work colleague, um, an attractive young lady, um, much younger than I. And we're talking and then at some point in the conversation, uh, the facilitator who's sitting beside me starts talking about his family and then my work colleague across the table starts talking about her partner, who is a woman. And I am completely blindsided. It turns out she's a lesbian and I had no idea. And I've worked with her for a year and a half. And when you think about it, why would I have any idea? We've never had an opportunity to talk about our families. So park that for a moment. Uh, the next day, I send a little note to Amanda and she, uh, via email, she's back up in our Albany office and I, I say, well, you know, this happens to me all the time where <clears throat> I have absolutely none of what's commonly called gaydar. <clears throat> I can interact with somebody for weeks and months and years at a time and have no idea what their sexual orientation is unless they happen to reveal it in some off-the-cuff remark. Well, and this was one of those and so we laughed and I sent her that little email and to my complete astonishment, she sends back to me, oh, I had no idea you were gay either. Said, How could you not have any idea that I was gay? Anyway, so there are all these layers, stories, uh, constantly um, coming out, and always making the decision about, is this the right moment to say something about it? Because it is something that is essential to who I am, but it is not necessarily how I define myself. I think that um, in my coworker's case in um, our office up in Albany, she's of a different generation than I was, and it would never occur to her that it mattered, um, which I find astonishing and also wonderful that we're entering into a, a period of time where the blue areas of acceptance have expanded enough so that you have pockets where you may actually feel safe where it may really be partially, partly, can we only hope, the post-gay world, although I don't really believe that, that certainly would be the experience of uh, younger generations. So that would be the other theme of coming out, is discovering where the process of coming out is in our social maturity. I want to thank the children for being with us for this part of the service, and we will sing you out with Go Now in Peace. Go week when we gather here to share our joys, concerns, and our hopes, we minister to each other. It's here that we meet one another's strengths and we encourage one another's wholeness. This morning we bring into this circle of humanity those who might need a helping hand or a caring heart, and those who have a joy to celebrate. If you have a personal joy, or sorrow or hope to share, please raise your hand. I will bring you a microphone while Stuart lights a candle of care. Please say your name, speak directly into the microphone, and please be brief.
Hi, I'm Chris. Um, based on the theme this week, I want to light a candle for all those young men uh, that I met at Rikers Island who had been thrown out of their houses for being gay, who walked the streets to make money, and who died there at Rikers Island. Um, and then the second one is to bring it home to here to Southampton. Um, yes, coming out is difficult. I have clients who still can't come out of this town. Uh, so we've decided as an organization to put the rainbow flag on our website and to start uh, a specific LGBTQ group uh, for all those who need. Uh, and I have to tell you, in this town, when I first came here 10 years, I was warned not to get out condoms. I was warned not to do some things that this town was too conservative. Well, 10 years later, we're going to bust up. joys, sorrows, and hopes that go unmentioned here this morning. You are also invited to light a candle in silence during the offering mus music a little later in the service.
Into this gathering we bring those we have named, those whose thoughts remain in the silence of their hearts, and those who are present here only in memory. May our love reach out to embrace the larger world community. We pray that the Ebola virus will be contained and that the people affected by it find healing. We hold in care those whose countries are engaged in conflict, the families and friends of those being persecuted by ISIS and those who fight for their freedom, those who have been the victims of violence and tragedy, homophobia and fear. We pray that those who suffer because of their gender or sexual orientation be given the support and legal protection they need to realize their whole selves openly. In the stillness of a shared silence, let us hold them and each other in the strength and comfort of this community. May our hearts be open to all who have entered this sanctuary in thought or in name, and may love be our guide in this life we share together. Amen. I'm gonna share with you some remarks that my partner, Ken Dorf, and I put together. Most of these are Ken's words and Ken's experience. When we did, a much larger service on the gay experience 15 years ago with this congregation. I think two or three of you were here when we did that. We were in a different building. It was a very different time. So bear that in mind, but also reflect on how little has changed as well as how much has changed. Ken writes, homosexuals, the word gay wasn't known yet, We're people of the shadows, sort of like vampires. Even in my Unitarian home, where my parents did not make fun of queers, I was totally unaware of the plight of gay people. Even though I grew up in a neighborhood where my neighbors bore the Nazis' tattoos, no one told me about the pink triangle worn by thousands of gay men sent to their deaths in the camps. Even though my parents hated McCarthy and knew folks on his blacklist, I did not know that under McCarthy, more people lost their jobs for being homosexual than for being communist. Even though my parents' community stood shoulder to shoulder with the Congress on Racial Equality against racial injustice, I never knew that gay people, even in New York, were being harassed fired from their jobs, and driven to suicide. When I was 15, Bob, the boy I had my first serious crush on, shot himself in the head during the Passover Easter holidays. My life would never be the same. I remember a walk with Bob's father afterwards while the family was sitting Shiva. He was a decent man trying to make sense of his son's death 
Thinking out loud, he told me that Bob had been a sensitive kid. Then he blurted out, not a fairy or anything. Not a fairy or anything. I certainly could understand why, if Bob was gay, he killed himself. Today, we know that gay teens are more than 10 times as likely to take their own lives as straight teens. I remember clearly the pain of that time. Here I was, always the good kid, the overachiever, top of the class, well-liked, quick to help the neighbors out. And somewhere around 13, or maybe earlier, I realized I was different. Something related to gender and sex. Okay, my belief that boys' interests were stupider than girls could be managed. I could get along. I had three brothers, after all, and had no lack of practice in being male. But then, when the crushes started, when boys began to talk about girls and all I could notice were boys, the horror began to dawn. What could a 15-year-old in 1969 imagine of a future as a homosexual? A dirty secret. Vito Russo's classic, The Celluloid Closet, a study of gay characters in American film, carefully documents how, until fairly recently, virtually all identifiable gay and lesbian movie characters killed themselves or were brutally, not merely, but brutally murdered. America told her gay children, disappear. Futureless, no marriage, no children, no job, no community, no gold watch on retirement. No wonder gay kids kill themselves. Bob's death was a turning point for me. I was blessed by a strong survival instinct. Instead of jumping off the Verrazano, I lashed out. I fought with my parents. I ran away from home. Like so many trapped New York teenagers, I slipped off as often as I could to the shimmering hubbub of Manhattan. I was, by strange coincidence, on Christopher Street the second night of the Stonewall Riots in June of 1969. I was just 16, and I was with Isaac, a Cuban man I had started seeing. We saw the commotion up the street, a cop car turned over, garbage cans set on fire, and a crowd I have since seen in other places and at other times during civil unrest, as many running towards the flame as away. Being me, I turned towards the flames, <clears throat> but Isaac, with a green card and an underage American at his side, pulled me away. We had no idea what a momentous night it was. Today, gays all over the world, in Germany, Mexico, South Africa, China, India, <clears throat> Argentina, venerate Stonewall as the moment that gay people fought back, when they refused to slink off in the paddy wagons and pay their fines for being queer. It was a collective coming out of the closet and we were forever changed. In this welcoming congregation, we offer a spiritual community to all who seek to be accepted here as they are. In this congregation, we take care of each other 
and we take care of the larger family of humanity. That's why there are two collections here. The basket that is passed will hold your gifts for the work that sustains this congregation and the meeting house. And the bowl on the back table is for the Helping Hand Fund, which supports the congregation's work outside these walls. A third of the Helping Hand Fund also maintains the minister's discretionary fund, which assists people in need confidentially. The more generous we are, the more other people can experience the love that this community has to share. Thank you for all your gifts of time, energy, and money that you invest in this community of faith. The morning offering will now be gratefully received. Gays and lesbians mean by the closet is a vast metaphorical prison of conformity. It means denying an essential feature of who we are, how we live, whom we love. It means doing this consistently, all the time. It takes a lot of energy to be in the closet, concealed as a homosexual from the world around you. But right now, let's take a look closer to home, your home. While you may never think of it that way, most of you, perhaps all of you, have had a coming out experience at one time or another in your lives. By coming out, I mean 
revealing to someone something profound or intimate about yourself that the person might otherwise never know. Something that may change how they perceive you. Might be a secret that you were hiding. Maybe telling someone you were pregnant or adopted or that you dyed your hair or that you never really did finish college. There are many layers to coming out and all of us have a role here. We're often in new situations in which people don't know that we're gay or that we are straight allies. Friends and family can proudly claim the GLBTQ people in their lives or they can remain silent. So now in the stillness of a shared silence, we invite you now to reflect on a coming out experience of your own and how that process affected you. Out comes the truth that you always knew I've tried to fight and hide from you. I'm tired of the lying, I'm tired of the fighting, and I will no more. Here I stand, out and proud. No more lies I'll tell, no more fear inside. Finally, I am free. Answers to the questions and the whispers in the crowd, yes, it is true. Here I am, out and proud. You've turned your back. You say you don't know me, and that is just a phase. Hormones to fix you, but I'll tell you the truth. Pulling the mask from my face, I will stand out and proud. You told me to keep it quiet. I tell you I cannot. Not to embarrass the family name. I say it should not. You, that it is wrong, well, 
I say it is not. I am who I am, out and proud. Thanks to people like Stuart and Ken and Chris and Ruth and Tom and Jim, my coming out later in life was relatively easy. It took being married 28 years and a move to Ohio without my husband for me to acknowledge my attraction to women. The marriage had been my protection against deviating from what I had been taught was the norm. As it turned out, the clues were always there. I simply chose to move them outside the realm of what was possible for more than half my life. Most of my family and congregation accepted the news matter-of-factly. It seems that they had put it together long before I did. A couple of longtime friends discontinued contact. And while I was out in my little UU world, my public persona in Akron remained mostly unchanged until Proposition 1 went on the ballot in 2004. Prop 1 introduced the toughest defense of marriage act in the country. My friend Rabbi Horowitz, he's currently the president of National PFLAG, that's Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. He and I became the local organizers for the anti-Prop 1 campaign. We purchased signs, we hand-delivered them to people willing to put them in their yards. We spoke against Prop 1 in our own congregations and in public forums. And the local newspaper picked up the story and outed me. The church and I received threats, and some interfaith colleagues pulled out of collaborative efforts because of me. When Prop 1 passed, Ohio became one of eight states to ban all forms of family recognition or status to same-sex couples. One might think that being out in New York, where domestic partnerships and same-sex marriages are legal, that it's a matter of course at this point. So why do we celebrate National Coming Out Day? Because we need to remember that there is still inequality and injustice toward LGBTQ people. Just within the last week, there have been anti-gay attacks in Brooklyn and Manhattan. A 22-year-old man dressed as a woman was walking with a friend when he was confronted by three young men screaming profanities and anti-gay slurs and taunts. When the victim and his friend tried to get away, the perpetrators chased after them and they opened fire. 
A 21-year-old man was attacked while walking with another man. The attacker shouted anti-gay slurs at them and then hit the first man on the back of the head. He knocked him in the face first into the pavement. The rate of suicide among gay teens is five times greater than it is for their straight peers. Nearly half of young transgender people have seriously thought about taking their lives and one quarter report having made a suicide attempt. Transgender New Yorkers have little protection in the law when it comes to employment, hospital treatment, or housing. One out of every three transgender New Yorkers have been homeless at one time or another. Two out of every three experience discrimination at work, and nearly 30% have faced a serious physical or sexual assault. Why is this still happening? For years, a quiet complicity existed between gay people and the straight world in which we live. It was and is a simple message. Keep quiet, don't challenge the social order. Let us use you as examples of what is wrong with society to maintain our control, and in exchange, we'll leave you mostly alone. But at what cost? At what cost to the individual, crippling shame and safe hatred under the fear and loathing of the narrow-hearted? At what cost to society, crushing out diversity under a wrathful need to control and homogenize? In society, as in biology, diversity builds strength, and we believe that our minority has particular gifts and insights to share with humanity. Only by standing up and being counted as gay can we end the ignorance and prejudice. Only by being open can we help others escape the loneliness and the hopelessness of life in the closet. Only by being out, proud, and participating in the rich life of a diverse community can we ever really call an end to the bigoted, hateful, and violent actions that deny gay men and lesbians an equal place in a just society. In the end, this is really about the personal. Before this generation, gay and lesbian people could not integrate all aspects of their lives into one. You chose romantic love or the love and support of your family and community. Most realized there really was no choice. Loss of community was too painful and too costly. But here in this community, we have a choice, and we have a spiritual home. Each person needs to decide for her or himself if and when it is time to come out. It may require careful thought and planning. But coming out is still important because when others can attach faces and stories to LGBTQ people, they are far more likely to support these people personally and under the law. Every person who speaks up changes more hearts and minds and creates new advocates for equality. When we speak up and out, we affirm the transforming power of love to overcome prejudice and hate. If, as Unitarian Universalists, we accept the challenge to confront evil with justice, compassion, and love, then we have no other choice.
Let us join in singing our closing hymn number 1053. Um, I don't know if this is familiar to you. It's fairly brief. Let's <laughs> sing it through at least three times, maybe. Do you want to play it through once more, Sarah? We extinguish this flame, but not the life of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. The blessing of truth be upon us, the power of love direct us and sustain us, and may the peace of this community preserve our coming out and our coming in from this time forth until we meet again. Blessed be. Amen.